Thank you for listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. With your host, Dapper Data. What's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? You are listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. This is your host, Dapper Data, once again. Um, as you know, I love to bring on special guests to talk about some expertise that they have related to data. And today, I brought on somebody that can talk a little bit about something different, right? Something unique that we haven't talked about before, right? We talk about programming languages. We dive into machine learning, supervised, unsupervised learning, all that cool stuff, right? Uh, we, we, I think we've delved into day, data ops and DevOps a little bit, but right now we're going to talk about how there are challenges faced by a data team, right? When you're trying to create that data team, you're trying to lead a data team, right? And some of the challenges you go through that uh, with that. We're also going to talk about the recipe, and you'll see why I like to say recipe, okay? <laughs> we're going to emphasize that word to, a, to a, when having the recipe to a strong data ops design. That's very important. Okay, and so I brought on a special guest. His name is Chris Berg. Chris Berg is the CEO and head chef of Data Kitchen. More than 30 years in the field of research, software engineering, data analytics, executive management experience, you name it, right? COO, CTO, VP. Chris is recognized as an expert in data ops, and we're going to dive into that, okay? He's been an author of Data Ops Manifesto, the Data Ops Cookbook, you name it, and you see the recipe, the cookbook, right? So we're going to get cooking on some conversations here. Uh, so, Chris, let's get this conversation cooking. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks for having me. So what's the, what's the sort of short summary? How about uh, old data nerd? Maybe that's the best way to think of it. Uh, so, you know, I'm a, kind of a working class kid from Wisconsin. I uh, taught in the Peace Corps for a few years, and then I got the software bug, like a lot of people. And uh, actually... In graduate school, I studied AI um, back when it was like in the deep winter of AI. So like my machine learning class had six people in it. <laughs> oh my goodness. That was like 30 or something, right? 30 plus. No, it, was six. it was like, it was, everyone hated it. 1988, everyone hated AI. It was like, it was way down the dumps, right? Because um, oh it had man. gone through its first boom and then everyone said, this is all crap. Um, mm -hmm. And so... Uh, I took a job at NASA, kind of doing some AI stuff related to air traffic control. And then I uh, got into commercial software, some internet startups, um, and then started to manage software teams. Um, and I wrote a lot of code, uh, managed a lot of software teams. And then about 2005, my kids were young. And I thought, ah, you know, I need a break from the software stuff. I want to do something easy. So I joined a company as a COO that did data and analytics. So, and it was like healthcare data, um, we had a bunch of customers, thousands of users. It was a small company. We grew it uh, quite rapidly. But I, I learned what it was like to run, to be a data scientist, a data engineer. I had, I did some of the work, but my teams did the work. I had data engineers and scientists and people who did visualization for us. We had hundreds and hundreds of data feeds. We had thousands of users. And like my life sucked. It was just bad. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and not not for the way you think, not because like the actual developing of the nuggets of data transformation or the models, like that's all cool. And I love that stuff. Right. And, and like, but it was running the whole team and the system was actually really hard. So running, running the factory 
was a mess. Like mm. data would come in wrong or late um, and broken. And like, it was, I was running, when I came in, I was running a factory that produced AMC pacers in the 1970s, right? They were crappy, oh. they were rusted, they were, they weren't nice Toyotas, right? They were crappy cars. And like, um, and because of that, my life really sucked, right? And then also the factory, one of the things I learned pretty quickly is that people, no matter what, when they get insight, they always have follow-up questions, right? Mm -hmm. You give them a single chart, you give them a model, you give them a data set, they're gonna say, well, what about this? What about that? Mm -hmm. and, and that's a good thing, right? It's a good thing to have a dialogue and iterate through uh, questions for people. And so, but then how do you run a really good factory but then how do you change the factory really quickly? And those things right. are like incredibly opposite, right? Like uh, you want to, and um, so I've, I've been kind of dealing with that question of how do you deliver insight with a team of people? Um, how do you rapidly satisfy your customers and deliver values? And then finally, how do you have, when you have a team of smart people and some people like R, some people like Python, some people like Tableau, mm -hmm. some people like Click, how, how do you like let them innovate? And, and use their favorite tools. And so all right. those things, um, we sold that company in kind of 2013. And then about 2014, my co-founders and I founded Data Kitchen. And, and so we've been at this journey, kind of the same problem that we had starting in 2005 when, you know, and, and I think, honestly, it's gotten, it hasn't gotten better. And if you look mm -hmm. at it from the personal to the market and the statistics, like, you know, data and analytics is no longer in its heroic age. It's about teams of people doing things, right? And and teams have gotten big, not five people or 500 people, right? And, and, and all over the organization. And so the complexity of the, what they're doing is, is, is up and the complexity of data is up. The amount of tools that are available is up. It's, it's really gotten a lot of press. You can't watch a football game and not see data and analytics and Amazon's ad for our cool and data. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just want to, how much of a change that is. Like when I started working in this career, I'd say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to run a data team. We're doing some, um, I call it predictive modeling. We had some ETL engineers. No one knew what I was talking about. I had to explain my job. <laughs> I do charts and graphs. And they're like, oh, okay. I, I get what you do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like the, the whole, so, I mean, it's, it's a remarkable change, right? In the last 15 years. And like people are into data and Moneyball, all that. Um, but the, fact of the matter is data teams are failing. You know, they fail. Gartner says 60% of data and analytic projects fail. Um, as you know, sort of the majority of data science models never get in the hands of their customers. People don't trust the data. The amount of companies reporting as being data-driven is declining in the uh, last, uh, yeah, there's a, a new Vantage Partners report that they do every year. Um, and so it's, a, it's kind of a dirty secret with all this hype that things aren't working. Um, and also a lot of people have entered the field and are frustrated. Um, so we did a survey with another company just recently and, uh, 80% of data engineers want a therapist. 70% of them oh. said they're so frustrated with their job. They're thinking of leaving. And, oh my and, goodness. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, you know what? I wasn't surprised because like, because it, 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 it kind of sucks, right? All right. And, and why does it suck? You have data, people who are giving you data to, to analyze, right? They don't care that you exist. They'll forget right. to give it to you. They'll change columns. Um, you have customers who are ravenous for new insight. And they have mm -hmm. lots of follow-up questions. They want to get it wide. 
Um, and that challenge of how do you not kill yourself being a hero, mm -hmm. and then how do you uh, versus how do you uh, lock everything down so you don't have any fear? That's a real tension, right? Right. And and, and so um, that leads to frustration with people because they can't. And, and it came like on my 42nd birthday uh, back in 2006 or seven. Um, I had an engineer, he turned 24 that same day, we had the same birthday. I was 42, he was 24. And I'd just gotten into the company. He's a really smart guy, went to an Ivy League college and he, he came in my office and cried because he felt he couldn't be successful. He's like, I can't go fast enough. Things are always breaking. I'm working nights and weekends. My life sucks. And I was like, mm -hmm. ah. And so I started to read, like I'm his boss, right? And I was like, yeah. oh. Um, and, you know, the first few weeks I thought, oh, I can just, these people are stupid. I should fire them. But then I started to realize, <laughs> no, it's my job to like make an environment that these people can be successful. Right, and right. I started to think about red, what, if it's a factory, well, what makes good factories or not? Like back in college, I read this book about, you know, Japanese cars versus American cars, the machine that changed the world. I started to go read that again, read Deming, who's about industrial process control and like, there's a way that you can factories like why did Toyota win over American Motors, right? It's not because like the Japanese are smarter or have work faster. It's that they focused on the process and the systems to deliver value. They didn't like buy a whole bunch of cool robots. It's like that they said, you know, we're a team. We have to work together and we have to. And so there's a set of methods that came from um, industrial management that sort of ended up in software in agile and the devops movement that mm -hmm. i think apply pretty clearly to the world of data and analytics and from my perspective those things really are rooted in my management challenge of how do i how do i be a good boss to a, a smart engineer who's crying how do i not get yelled at by my customer when it's late you know right. um, how do i like not have my wife get upset with me because I'm playing, complaining about work yet again. <laughs> so yeah, right. those sort of things are like all rooted in, in, in why we started to sort of push this idea of data ops and applying these ideas that we sort of stole from other areas into, into data science, data engineering, you know, the whole data and analytics field. No, no, that's, that's amazing, Chris, you know, and, and, and what I take from that is like, is, you know, processes are key, right? You know, having the, right process it's efficient you know it's structured you know it's it's, it's focused on um making the entire team better that seems like that's the most important thing that you want to uh focus on throughout you know trying to build this solid team right and so when you you know the with your history and your stories you know would you say that in order to come up with this great vision in the future right in order to come up with this great uh, end goal, right? You know, that you've been able to come up with, you almost have to experiences, experience all the failures and, 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 and you have to dive into multiple things to kind of figure out, you know, that problem, you know, would you say that, you know? Uh, yeah, I think so. Cause I mean, that, that, and that's sort of what we're trying to do. We're trying to like package up that package up the things that alleviate our pain in a software product in a company and, and sell it in the marketplace, right? So people don't have to do all the dumb stuff we did. <laughs> right, and we can make some money on it. I mean, that, that's kind of the whole thing. And, and like, yeah. and to me, it's like, I, I came at this 
not both from a technical guy who I've written a lot of code. And well, last time I wrote code was about four years ago, but like um, <laughs> the, you still got it, you still got it Chris. <laughs> I still got it. I still got it. Yeah, like riding yeah. a bike. <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, uh, I think what happens is when you're managing a team of people and there's a set of methods to manage a team of people that I, I wouldn't know how to manage a theater troupe or you know, a, a branch of government, I have like no idea. But I like, if there's a group of people and they're working on a shared, technically complicated thing, like mm -hmm. there's a set of principles on how you manage that. Like right. and that, that shared, technically complicated thing could be a factory that makes cars. It could be a software team that has a back end and a front end and, and works together to make a website. Or it could mm -hmm. be a data and analytics team that has pipelines and models and visualizations. Like the principles are the same on how you manage it. And, um, you know, the, the first principle in all those is that deliver, get everyone focused on delivering value to the end customer. Like that's mm. the most important thing. Don't yeah, worry okay. about your project or your timeline. Is the customer yeah. happy? Is it working? You know, the definition of being done means it's in the customer's hands and they're using it and they like it. Like that right. is like when you, when you come up with a sorry to cut you off. I was gonna say when oh, you no. come up with a success rate, right? You know, it's is at the end at the end of the day is you know, is the customer satisfied? Right. You yeah. know, you have all the Amazon, that's like when one of their top ten models or something like that, right? They're focused on the customer at the end of the day. And it's in the customer sat is the is is the customer satisfied. So that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it and it's it believe me, it's hard to do, right? It's much easier to kind of like sit with your computer in your room and build your crystal castle and like lots of code and like, oh, six months later, no one's seen the light of day. Mm -hmm. And like the, the problem is, is that the more time you spend doing that, the more often you're going to miss what really matters. Mm -hmm. And you need to get things into your customer's hands. And maybe your customer is a VP or a director in your company, or maybe it's someone who's using your website but you need to get it in their hands and then see if it changes them, right? Because we're in the influence business. The data business is an influence business, right? You know, we've got these weird set of skills that we can understand data and analyze data. Not everyone has them or everyone wants to, but they look on us as a data team to help them navigate this complicated world. And, and in some cases they think it's magic, but like our influence on those people is really important. Um, and so how right. we've got a, and the only way um, they, you know, if you think they don't really care about the how you do it, they just want to touch it and feel it. And they're going to give you um, really good feedback on what they want and what they don't want. And so right. the second principle is that cycle time matters. And cycle mm -hmm. time means how fast you can put something in your customer's hand and change it and then learn from it. Oh. And the, two things, uh, the two things that matters is one is that you are you end up maximizing the amount of work you don't have to do. Because you talk to a customer, you go off for six months, you think they wanted 10 things. You mm -hmm. get your project plan, I got 10 things. Six months later, they go, eh. You know, those two things I really wanted. The other eight, eh, not so much. <laughs> but by the way, right. there's four more I really wanted. And so if you would have just gone through and done it in shorter cycles, you would have ended up doing only six things. And mm -hmm. you would save a whole bunch of time. And so that is like short cycles, really you are much more attuned to what the customer wants and it ends up saving yeah. you time. So are you saying, uh, when you say cycle time, right? Actually going to the customer, 
right? Saying, hey, I have this this piece. So you have a you have an entire product you're trying to develop, right? You know, or entire entire solution you're trying to develop, or whatever it is, a process, and you have those stakeholders involved, right? You know, and and instead of um, you know just saying, hey, here's the final product, right? I've been spending all this time in the shop, uh, uh, you know, making sure the product is great for you. I, I met with you one time. I got all the requirements down. It was great. You know, instead of doing that, right, you're actually meeting more frequently, right, with that with that customer. Uh, every time that you develop maybe a piece of, you say, hey, look, is this is this what you're looking for, right? They give you yeah. feedback. You made it make adjustments. So before you even go into the next solution or next part of that next phase, then you're 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 sort of making changes throughout that time, right? Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's a really interesting thought that sort of doing less is more, doing worse <laughs> is better, um, because yeah. we all want to show off our skills, right? And so yeah. let's say you're talking to a head of marketing, right? And then yeah. marketings have customers and they want to segment their customers. Now you go to your book yeah. and you pull it down and you're like, oh, I'm going to use K-means clustering. I'm going to use this and we're going to have this data set. And, <laughs> and like, um, maybe the first thing that you should do is just um, take them and rank, sort them and, and, and decile them. Right, really right, simple to do, right. right? Just give him a decile and say, is this good enough? And he's like, oh, this is perfect. You decile by sales volume? Oh, fantastic. That's exactly what I wanted. Or they can say, you know what? Uh, that's not quite right. We should do it this right. way. And so you're, um, you're always trying to find the way to work through that because the challenge, like in software, you know, you're building a software product, you give them the UI, they look at it. So you've got yeah. that one iteration cycle. But in data, you've got this secondary one. It's like, they're asking you a business question. I want to segment my customers for this reason, because I want to drive sales of a particular product. And you're like, have to look at the data and say, can this actually make that prediction? Like, mm -hmm. they want to, I don't have any product sales for this. I've got total sales, I don't have product sales. So like, does it matter? Um, right, right. That prediction. And so, um, you know, that's what makes it really interesting is, is like, you're also iterating with the data, having fast cycle times with the data to do it. And, and, and I think those things, so, that idea of cycle time, focusing mm -hmm. on customer value. I also think the idea of, of trust and mm. um, is really important because safety of people, because in a big shared technically complicated thing, if mm -hmm. you start BSing someone that someone works, that this part works, they're gonna know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and like maybe you can do that in like a play and like you can like yeah. act your part and the play will still go on, but like if that part of the factory is broken or that piece of software or that, you know, the, the SQL code that you're using for data transformation isn't doing what it says, everyone's going to know. And so yeah. communication and trust and, and the ability to say, this looks weird. Can we check it out? Right. I want to improve it. The team has got to have a more level of um, high communication and trust. So yeah, value, like value cycle time, um, sort of trust. And then the last is like, get analytic about your processes that you work. Because your team itself, yeah. how much work they do, how well the factory's running, how many errors it has, that is a really interesting source of data. Mm -hmm. and, and whether it's a factory or a software project or a data and analytic team, those those principles like are just, they apply. And they apply in different ways, right? And, and different things and they have different terms, um, but they're all kind of the same idea in my perspective. Right, right. Uh, so when working with some uh, data science teams, do you tend to see uh, uh, people having challenges where they're around finding the right data, right? Asking those right questions throughout the process or, you know, even cleaning the data or understanding, 
you know, well, how to get access to it and things like that. Do you have to deal with some of that as well when you're? I think you're... that there's the problems are in every part of the data value chain. It's as an access, <laughs> understanding, transformation, yeah. modeling, visualization, governance, and every company has its own unique challenges, right? And so that is a great point. That's a great and point. And so uh, <laughs> you know, um, and I don't think. Um, what's that line from Anna Karenina? All great marriages are the, the same, but all bad marriages are are bad in their own unique way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, like, I think it's the sort of same thing about data teams. Like, there, there's a lot of problems, right? And so, mm -hmm. I guess from my perspective, it's it's you, you can solve the access issue, then you get to the transformation, or the, there's mm -hmm. you can solve those. But what's bigger? It's not so much about data silos. It's mm -hmm. about people silos and process silos oh. and that um, I'm much more focused and I think on that the the factory than the workstation and if you can get yeah. the factory humming you can try new data sets quicker you can make yeah. changes faster and that actually enables you to do to solve all those other problems so right. it's, you know don't focus on data silos focus on people and tool silos yeah, yeah. No, that's a great point. I've had so many, um, I've been on so many companies, uh, so many organizations where the, uh, within the organization, you have multiple product teams, right? You have multiple products they're building and they're never on the same page, right? You know, and, and you're realizing that, uh, I guess that would be more of, you know, product team silos, right? You know, versus it being, you know, actual people, but you know, you would think that they would have the same process across the board, but one says, hey, I want my process this way. And the other one says, I want my process this way. Yeah. And there's no real reason why they shouldn't have the process similar, right? You know, but they tend to yeah. have or just work on it. Yeah, I think like, yeah. Yeah. It, it's something, how your team delivers value to your customer is a thing that you own as a team. And it's a thing that, you, that's the only real thing you own as a leader of a team. And that's that's you know you can't do the work for people. In fact, you shouldn't do the work for people. Um, yeah. You know, they, they get their job satisfaction because they're good data scientists or data engineers, right? Or, or and mm -hmm. um, but what you can do is 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 try to build a system so that makes them productive um, and right. allow them to see the impact of their work. And so, um, in a lot of data and analytic organizations, in small companies, it is two or three people, right? That they got some a database guy and a Tableau person, right? In bigger companies, there it, it gets very organizationally complicated. So mm -hmm. they'll have a warehouse team or a lake team. They'll have multiple data science teams. They'll have people who are embedded into lines of business, doing using self-service tools. Um, they'll have data governance teams. And the, if you sort of follow the value stream of data through a company, it looks just sort of like fans out. It's this many yeah. complicated. <laughs> And, and everyone's working hard, but, and, and the yeah. challenge is like, number one is like, things are always going to break. And yeah. when things go wrong, then the default is like, it's Saturday morning, get everybody on the phone. Right. And yeah. everyone's like going, ah, my piece, I'm doing the thing. And like, yeah. to me, it feels like just, that's a really important thing. You should know that the things that you're delivering to your customer are good and right before you get, get them. So you right, right. Then they start pointing fingers and stuff, you know. Yeah, you yeah, say, oh yeah, this part broke. This stock yeah. container didn't work. This server went <laughs> down. You know, um, this guy checked in some code that made it bad. 
um, or our data provider gave us, you know, forgot that they exist and only gave us half the data they need. And like, right. you'd be surprised that up to some teams, 30% of the entire team work is based yeah. on reacting to data problems and fixing and they, they get paralyzed. Point. They build something and they're so afraid to change it because it keeps breaking and they're like, they're, and, and so we're, we, we kind of live in an age where like we're throwing our testing and quality assurance onto our customers. Yeah. You know, yeah. because, because data is different and our customers are telling if it's wrong and no, it's like, understand your data, understand what you're getting and, and write automated tests and checks and monitors to make sure it's right. Um, right. Because if you don't like I, my experience was if I didn't do that, then I started to get yelled at by my customers and, and have I, yeah. I was the guy they called. And then, and I just, you know, I don't like being yelled at. And like um, I was I've spent years trying to figure out how to run a good factory to produce insight in, in, with those two dimensions. Can it produce things that are perfect mm -hmm. with all the problems of data? And and can I change what's on that factory really quickly? to react to whatever the customer wants. Or as I'm building something, you know, I'm giving them something new every week, every week and they're, they're reacting and learning. And if you do those two things, run a good factory and can change that factory really quickly, your team is much more productive, like on the factor of 10 times more productive. And oh. they are much happier because they're getting more done. And oh. it's, uh, and so uh, that's what's, if you focus less on, if you focus on these things, you actually end up getting more done and your team's mm -hmm. happier and, and your life doesn't suck. <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah. Uh, so, and your wife doesn't yell at you for complaining yeah. about your job and then they have stay out. <laughs> it all trickles, right? It all trickles. It all trickles <laughs> down. Yeah. Well, it goes back to my wife. Yeah. I've been married for 30 yeah. years. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's love right there that's love right there. <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. it is but yeah i mean yeah. that's the thing it's that that's it's it's true though it's like the a, a good mark of a good relationship is when they can say can you just fix that you know you can yeah. fix it and and yeah. i think for me i i see the same problems in a lot of data teams the same patterns over and over and over again a lot of we're going to work really hard to build something take months and months to do it, don't get feedback from the customer, get it in production, it starts breaking left and right, everyone's unhappy, customer thinks your team's an idiot, yeah. and then then people start quitting. Yeah, right? and it's just yeah. like, it's so, it's so frustrating and, and it's so sad because people, mm -hmm. if they just would think about their work in a different way, apply some time to do automation, um, yeah. and testing, apply some of these data ops principles, manage their team in a slightly different way, they'd be, they'd actually, they wouldn't have to do that. You know? Yeah, and it's almost like you have to, uh, you know, you're trying to please the customer, but you know how the customer is, they're always demanding, right? They're like, I need this, I need this, this is my requirements now, I need it fast. It's almost like in order to do it right, you have to have the balance of, okay, I'm going to deliver quality to the customer, but it may take me delivering it at a slower pace initially to get to that point of delivering quality. So now the customer is happy because I deliver quality, but 
they may not be satisfied with the timing um, initially, right? When you're trying to get the foundation in place, you're trying to make sure everything is, you know, automated. You're trying to, you know, get all the kinks out. You know, you're taking your time because if you don't take your time, then at the end of at the end of everything, you're going to be going back fixing all kinds of problems you could have fixed beforehand, right? Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. You rush yeah, to say, look at the cool stuff I've done, but you leave, you leave. Uh, data quality, you need the ability to adapt and change, you need go leave governance, you leave all those things to the end, and then yeah. you're, you're hurting. And so yeah. to me, it's it's saying you can you can have a discussion with your customer. You can say, look, I've got this data. I've yeah. looked at it. I put it in a schema. I've grouped it. I've run this quick model. I put the model in Tableau. What do you think? And we, yeah. The quality is poor. I haven't mm -hmm. really done a whole lot of checks, but I want to make sure I'm kind of on the right track. Right. And right. you know what? There is no documentation. There is no data dictionary associated with it. And then they go, yeah. no, no, that's totally wrong. Or they go, oh, yeah, that's right. And you say, okay, you know what next week I'm going to do? I'm going to have a, have a whole bunch of automated tests in it mm -hmm. to make sure the data is right. And I'm going to run those every time it runs. I'm going to mm -hmm. uh, be able to then uh, use those tests in a development process to make sure that if I do make a change, I can judge the impact and see if there's any regressions. I'm going to, right. week after that, I'm going to start building out my data dictionary. And mm -hmm. every week you can get, so instead of seeing these discrete phases is like, I get to build everything and then all these other things at the end, they're all part of the discussion. Right. Because, right. You know, it, but the high order bit here is like, are you actually delivering what the customer wants? And the only yeah. way to do that is to let them touch it. It just, oh. you can't, I like, I, I don't ever want to write a data requirements document again. It's just, right, just right. So let them, <laughs> let them touch it. Because I'm get it wrong. <laughs> right, right. So, so, <laughs> so let them touch it, I guess, in spurts, right? You know, not just at the end, but kind of throughout the process. Th throughout the process. And and because you're not only, um, you, it's not, it's also about, they, you need to understand what the data can tell. Mm -hmm. You need to build something that takes what that story that, that what the data can tell in a form that's consumable by your customer. Mm -hmm. And then back and forth, it's like you're, you're constantly iterating between does the data say it? Is it understandable by the customer? Mm -hmm. Do I really understand what the customer wants? And you're trying to work through all these things. Um, and then you're trying to build something that um, you don't have to live with. Cause the other aspect of the way people do is they, Rot, they spend long time, um, they build something and then it's wrong. They got to iterate it and, you know, they're frustrated. And so I think that actually makes it hard for the team itself to gain mm -hmm. trust in the customer. Because if you read a lot of reports, there's a lot of distrust of data in that mm -hmm. thing about New Vantage report about the number of companies reported being data driven going down. Partly mm -hmm. the reason is they don't trust the data. The way I look yeah. at it is they don't trust the teams that are producing that. Uh, that makes more sense because at the end of the day, you're supposed to, I mean, that's what one of the benefits of data, right? You know, you're, you're able to support your decisions that you're already making. Yeah. You're able to backfill those decisions. You know, the, the, the data actually has your back, right? They have your, yeah. they're, they're, they have your back throughout the process, you know, so you're, you're trusting the data. How can you, how can you actually say, man, you know, I don't, I don't trust the data. Right. Without going through the process of creating it, cleaning it, all that stuff. So how do you just say, I don't trust the data, you know, but I guess not trusting the teams. Right. That that actually makes more sense to me 
you know, to not trust the teams itself before saying, I don't trust the data now. Because you don't trust the teams, you don't trust the data. I get it. You know? <laughs> they say they don't trust the data, but what it really means is they're trying to be nice. Yeah. Because um, they depend on the data teams for data. They're not going to say, oh, I don't trust the team at all. They just say, I don't trust the data or this looks wrong. Um, yeah. But, you know, you're in a relationship. And yeah. uh, most business people, they're trying to make decisions, right? And they're more social beings than us nerds, right? And, and they're yeah. like, oh, do I trust this? Is this group solid? Is this not group solid? Can I trust them? Can I not trust them? They're almost at yeah. that level. Yeah. And like, um, I think working on the trust as a leader, getting, um, because inevitably you're going to have hiccups, you know, your, your suppliers are going to give you things. Your factory is going to break. Servers are going to go down. Um, people are going to take time off. Stuff's going to happen. Right. And, and how you react to that with your customers is also really important. And a lot of organizations run from errors. They try to hide them. Um, when it happens, they, shame and blame people on the team it's someone's fault Mm -hmm. and i think part of the thing is you want to and this is why i think toyota beat american motors as they ran towards errors oh there's a problem Mm -hmm. error let's figure out why was that let's make it so it doesn't happen again let's look at the most common errors find patterns and automate them away and improve it and i think running towards your errors and running from them and and admitting them to your customer saying yeah we screwed up you know, we let some bad data through. Yep, it's our fault. Um, you know what? Um, we won't let it happen again. And we put a bunch of automated tests and checks so it never happens again. And you know what? I've never had a, a customer say bad at that. They're like, oh, okay, you're on top of it. <laughs> I'm happy, you know? And so, and then what happens too is as you build those automated checks and tests and orchestration on top of it, that becomes a data set. And they start to look at it and go, wow, you ran. 10,000 automated checks on the data before you gave it to me. Okay. Right. You guys are awesome. I can, I, I don't have to worry about this anymore. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and it gets to be quiet and they, then, um, you know, then they can, uh, they can start trusting the data more by trusting your team. And then you can actually fulfill what we're here to do uh, as data and analytic people is to drive, use data to drive change in companies and, and behaviors. Yeah, great point, great point. So I, I wanna I, I want to take a step back, right? You know, you are the CEO and head chef, right? You know, we want to talk about what that means, right? Head chef. <laughs> uh, but I think it's I I think I kind of get the gist, right, of of Data Kitchen and um, you know what what is Data Kitchen, right? What what are you doing with Data Kitchen? You know, uh, how are you helping data analytics teams realize their full potential with data ops, right? You know, that that's an interesting concept. The marketing is great, and I'm sure the story is amazing, you know, but the audience definitely wants to hear a lot about, you know, what you all are doing, some of the use cases with, you know, Data Kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're a software company. Um, so we got about 50 people in the company. We've been um, we're profitable. We've been growing kind of without outside investment for the last uh, eight years. Um, and so our vision is that everyone, every data and analytic teams works according to the data ops manifesto, which we wrote mm-hmm. the 18 points that they work in this fast cycle time, customer value focused, um, right. trusted environments, you know, metric driven. And, and we have software that enables that to happen. And the way the mm-hmm. software, think of our software is like, the factory floor for data and analytics. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you may have your, you know, uh, like Oracle's got a suite of tools, right? That do ETL, they have a database, they have a biz tool, a data science tool. 
Like right. those tools plug into our software. And what oh. we do is we don't replace those, but we become the factory and that orchestrates those tools that tests them, that deploys them, helps people build environments. It's this, we're the automation engine for data and analytic teams so they can run it in a more factory way and then collect data about what's happening in that factory so they then can approve. Like we'll give you a report. Over the last week, how many errors have you had in production? Oh, and so even, even errors that are from the tool itself or exactly. errors? Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, nice. So, so like, you know, your data may be perfect, but something, the VP goes, it's wrong. And well, was it the model went out of alignment? Did someone tweak the report wrong and put in a calculated field? Did somebody change the ETL code or ELT code? Right. Or, you know, did someone like, did the data get weird? And like, just like knowing that is like a really important thing for teams because it then, and in fact, knowing it even before it's delivered to your customer is also mm -hmm. really important. And so that's like the, one of the philosophies is error rates in mm. your, is if you can drive those down, you know? Yeah. And so that's, if you drive error rates, improve cycle time, of your analytic team, you actually then the business benefit is they're much more productive and mm -hmm. therefore you're delivering much more insight to your customer and your life doesn't suck. And so, <laughs> but to yeah. do that, we've had to like, we wrote some software, nobody under like six years ago, nobody understood what the hell are we talking about? Like, they, they <laughs> like and, and so we go, went to our, like our first conference, I'm wearing a chef's hat and a chef's jacket. Nice. <laughs> like I'm giving out wooden spoons with a data kitchen logo on and I'm trying to explain what we do. And people are like, you're an ETL tool, right? I'm like, no, you're a database. No, uh, do you do data science? No. And, and so we're, we're trying to help improve, drive productivity of data and, and analytic teams by applying, you know, agile and DevOps principles. Oh. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, so we've been on this mission and that's why we had to write two books and why I go on podcasts is to educate that, that, you should start thinking about the people in process as an important part of your, you know, the what you do with data and analytics, the models, right. the, the what that's really important, but the how yeah. you do things is as important. And in my mind, it's more important because if you get that right, you, you get to change the what more, much more often and have more fun. Oh man, great point, great point. You know, so I know we talked a little bit about, I guess uh, we talked about uh, data ops, right? You know, and and I, and I know you just mentioned, you know, agile workflows and you, you mentioned we've talked a little bit about DevOps as well. Um, it's interesting to me. I know we had a discussion before. I might have read it somewhere where we discussed how things like DevOps, right, agile and even lean lead to data ops as a better way to really creating value from the data, you know, and so you know, touch on touch a little bit on that. You know, matter of fact, I think we should probably start with what we believe these definitions are because some of my audience, right, they haven't really they're interested in it, right? They hear DevOps a lot, they hear data ops a lot. You know, if you were to define data ops, you know, what would be really your definition of uh, data ops? Well, I, I guess the way we've defined it is sort of a set of technical practices and, and cultural norms and architecture patterns that drive four outcomes in, in data and analytic teams. One is the increase in cycle time at which mm -hmm. they can deliver insight to their customers, the reduction in errors in their mm -hmm. analytic factories, the improvement of productivity in their teams, and the mm -hmm. measurement of the processes that they work. 
Okay. And so those four things, cycle time, error rates, collaboration, and measurement. And so from, from that, um, how that fits to DevOps is, is the, you know, uh, DevOps produces a software product, right? They, mm -hmm. they, and, and that has one great iteration cycle. And Agile is the way you run your team to do that. And there's other terms in, in general, like some people run Agile and Kanban and Scrum. There's all these terms right. around how to like organize people. Um, DevOps is the technology platform. It's the factory to do that. And so I think those are good, but they don't, you know, because data, it has this other cycle in it of iterating on data and iterating on the application on data. Um, mm -hmm. We've had to adapt some of those ideas to the data and analytics world. And so DevOps, I think, is kind of, um, I would say, you know, they're very related in concept, but they differ in practice because DevOps is more towards software projects and data ops is more towards data and analytic teams. If you're, if you're a good software engineer, you do DevOps. If you're a good data engineer or data scientist, you do data ops. Yeah, yeah, and I, I see, all, like, they're all the same idea, and it's the, like, I don't care about the word, just do the activity. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, absolutely, right, you know, but I'm glad you clearly defined that, because I've seen a lot of people sort of, uh, even though they're so close, right, you know, they mix the two terms, you know, and somebody like yourself or myself, you know, we may say, hold up, do you mean data ops, you know, not DevOps, you know, it's, because, you know, the, if we're trying to educate you on something, right, or we're trying to, you know, uh, uh, make sure that there's, you have this end goal, you know, we want to, there's two different paths maybe that you're taking, right, or two different skill sets that you have that we're dealing with. And so sometimes we have to define that. So I'm glad you were able to do that, you know, and. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, also, just, if it's my life, is I, I really thought as a software engineer, Mm -hmm. I knew Agile and DevOps. And when I went to work in data and analytics, I thought, eh, it's a subset of software and eh, it's all easy. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm, on, I'm on vacation. Yeah. And, uh, there's kind of, that's, there's sort of two suns, right? There's the application and the data and it's different. And so um, I encourage people from a DevOps background to go into data ops because they got the principles. They just don't know the practices. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people in data and analytics who've been there for a while, who've been in, inspired to apply these these agile lean and DevOps principles to their environment. And so I think it, it becomes with, it really comes to admitting where the problem is. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I think from my standpoint, sort of, it's not a problem in an individual contributor sitting down at their keyboard and creating models visualizations man there's so many good tools to do that right yeah. it's, it's not about like and and there's you know supervised and supervised learning structured yeah. unstructured data I mean, there's a lot there and and like yeah. the market's full of tools and books and that's a great individual contributor skill and like I, i'm happy I, like i can do some of that stuff maybe i'm not the best but i've done all of it and like i guess i've come to the point where that just doesn't matter the system that people work in matters more and the way i touch the elephant is if you get that right people could iterate their way to delivering huge value. They don't have to be, you know, I'm, I'm, I no longer look to hire the rocket science, data scientist who can do everything, who can talk to the CEO and visualize data and model data and integrate data and under, like they're the rock stars. Like I, I don't wanna hire those anymore because basically they create a bunch of technical debt and then they walk away. And yeah. so if you, can, if you can build a team that can focus on customer value, iterate quickly, um, automate things, 
and have a lot of trust, they can be very productive and very happy. And so the, the 18 point. points of the manifesto are all about how to do that. That's a great point because, you know, that goes back to when we discuss leading this data team, right? You know, when you're leading that data team, you know, you don't just have that rock star, right? You know, you have that, you have each each person play their role and that's, it's better to hire, you know, five individuals that can cover maybe all the aspects, right, of, of, of the whole transformation process, right? I mean, or, or the ingest, the transformation, the analytics and all that good stuff, the visualization part. You know, if you have, you know, instead of one person that can do everything, right, you have multiple people that can do multiple different parts of that process, you know, and that allows your team to be scalable, right? But if somebody was to leave the organization, right, which that happens all the time, uh, and and you're able to fill that one slot. Now you don't have to fill somebody that can handle the world. You just fill somebody that can just get a little piece of the pie, right? You know? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And it's hard. It's hard when they. It's super tempting to hire heroes, right? And in some ways, all I'm talking about is imagine heroism and fear on a continuum. Right? <laughs> some organizations they they target heroes. Everyone's <laughs> full stack rock stars. They do everything. They're working late at night. Um, one of them leaves. It's a big mess more heroism. Right. Other organizations have attuned to fear. Mm -hmm. uh, we take months and months and months to change anything, right? <laughs> uh, and like, once it works, we don't want to touch it. They're attuned mm -hmm. to like, they, they don't want to be embarrassed by the customer. And so I think that there's a balance yeah. you know, between fear and heroism. I think you should be a hero a couple of percent of the time. Yeah, I think you should have fear a couple of percent of the time, but most of the time you should make changes and know that they work and do them quickly. And, 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 and so uh, I, I think that that is something, the emotional state of a lot of data analytic teams where they're on one side or the other that drives this high degree of unhappiness and high degree of project failure. And if we bucket it more towards the middle and find the happy medium, we're gonna all be uh, better off. Right, right, right. Well, you know, thank you, Chris, for being on the podcast. You know, I like to, as the audience knows, I like I like to end with what I call a dope data nugget or a gem, uh, uh, and and I like to kind of summarize what I thought and gather from this, right? From your expertise, right? Your expertise, Chris. <laughs> so so when looking at you know the discussion that we had, right? When when going through this discussion, what I gather from it is you know focus on the process and systems to deliver value, right? Um, I remember you mentioned that before. That's something that's that's key. That's definitely going to stick with me. And something that we just talked about probably a few seconds ago, uh, when dealing with a data science, a data team in general, right? Not just data science team. Uh, really try to focus on not hiring that hero, right? You know, having a balance between hero and fear. You know, when 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 hiring a team, uh, you never want somebody that can do everything in the world, right? You know, you kind of want a team. That's spread across handling different parts, right? You know, there's probably so many benefits to that. Um, so thank you again for for being able to share that with us. Is there anything that you want to share with the audience? No, I think I, I think from my perspective, things are going pretty well in the sense that these the ideas I'm talking about are not just me now. It's a lot of people out there, and the, you know, there's different. There's been a, a bunch of companies around data observability, which is subcomponent model ops, there's analysts writing about it, other people have written books. Um, and so it's nice to hear, um, you know, that intellectual property theft I did of stealing 
lean and agile and DevOps ideas and applying the data, um, <laughs> other people have got the same thing are doing it too. And so I think it's, it, it, I think we're all kind of seeing the writing on the wall is that this is really important. And it, you know, and, and I think it's, it's natural, right? We've, how many more, we've done AI, we've done ML, we've done data science. There's not much more we can do. NLP, I mean, how many more acronyms can we apply yeah. <laughs> before we get somewhere, right? Before we get yeah. to a point like it's really about the team and the process. Yeah. No, we're, and it's funny because we're coming up with so many acronyms, so many new things to dive into. But I always wonder, are we moving too fast, right? Are we moving too fast because we have not been able to master the ones that are there right now? You know, it's like you, you're jumping into NLP, you're jumping into you know, neural networks, all these different things, which is great, right? You're diving into it. But have you handled the basics of, you know, data science and 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 data-driven decision-making, things like yeah. that, you know, educating them on that? You know, I wonder what a college course is like now on, on like a four-year course. I don't even know if somebody could get uh, in, a, in a bachelor degree, right? Be able to really understand everything about data science um, by the time they end in their career, because you're still adding new, you're adding new things, you know, every time. So it does, it's mind blowing to me when it comes down to that, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I tend to be a little bit more on the basics. Like, you know, can you take some data, do a regression and talk with a customer and get some insight. Right. And, and, and do so you really so <laughs> cloud-based neural network, and, yeah. you know, uh, NLP, blah, blah, blah. And, I think a lot of that is is honestly is is people being building kind of crystal castles of complex complexity mm -hmm. and because it's fun and because we're good at it and because talking to people is kind of annoying <laughs> and, and so uh uh and like i think um if you can just get out get out of the building and talk to some people and, and show them a little bit of something in a draft form and learn from it you're just going to be so much better off and and right. it's it also just your job satisfaction is going to go up because mm -hmm. you've got you know you're having an effect on the world because those people who spend four or five months in a closet coding yeah they're building some something really cool but the back of their mind they know it's not going to matter yeah, they know yeah, they're gonna, yeah, and they're gonna go on, and yeah, they've got some skills on their resume, and they can talk the game. But like, are they real? Is it really like try to matter? I think that's what yeah. really, you can matter, um, yeah. and and you can make a difference. That's my. You don't have to. You don't have to sit in your room and 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 build these complicated things to matter. You can actually just have effect on the people in your organization, the customers of your organization, and and yeah. doing it simply is is often better. Man, great point. Great point. You know. I, I, I have so many stories that uh, that that go back to the, uh, the the topic you just brought up where you where you say you know do something that matters right you know and I think that's why it took me so long to dive into uh, data science because I was trying to figure out you know every I've touched almost every aspect of IT right you know I mean storage networking you know I was diving into all these different things and working where I've worked at, you know, in the government industry, you know, you're doing networking and you're trying to figure out, I just, I just did something that I think is great, right? Or I worked as a programmer at NASA at one point, right? I was a developer, right. a Java developer. Yeah, at the Goddard, at Goddard NASA. Oh, cool, and okay, so, yeah. I worked, I worked at Ames for, for like three years. Okay, nice. Oh, man, man, yeah. man. Yeah, so I, I'm sitting there and you wanna make sure that everything that you're doing, or all this work you're putting in, 
I wanted somebody to tell me how I changed somebody's life at the end, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, think, I never got that. I never got that, right? You know, I, I'm just sitting there in the dark, coding forever, right? You know, I'm sitting there solving, troubleshooting this storage problem with the government, right? And we're working in the federal government agencies, and and at the yeah. end of the day, there are people out in the field that are, are that you're supporting, but everything I do, I just I just solve this problem so that this data could be here and it's secure, but nobody told me, you know, what I did actually mattered, right? You know, yeah. and so data science, I think I gravitate to that more because I feel like that's something that can change the world, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like being able to, you know, cure, you know, world hunger or something like that, you know, or a disease that's out there, right? You know, really analyzing the historical data to help you you know, come up with some type of predictive analytics or decision making is changing the world, right? You know, maybe you could could solve um, natural disasters or, or pre-plan be, be, before a natural disaster happens, right? You know, that changes yeah. the world. So that's why I gravitate to it more. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, what I mean, yeah, no, I think that I think this really matters because, like, I mean, I, I have kids in their twenties, right? And I'm like, do something. Like, you're gonna work a long time. Like, I've been working. I say I've been working since 12. So I've been working like 45 years, right? Uh -huh. And that's a long time to like have jobs. Um, yeah. And like, it's much better to find to find things that are meaningful, that you know are having an impact on the world um, and then nerd out on them. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that's like, have something that has an impact on the world and then nerd out on it. You don't have to like change the world, just have some impact that's positive somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> And like, I think that's that's a meaningful life, and I think that's much better than, you know, trying to like have the big house or you know the cool car or something. It's it's more meaningful to nerd out on something that you think is going to, at least in some small way, kind of push the world forward. And right, I mean, right. that's I think data is a great career for that. I mean, because I think yeah. if we can get our own emotional, irrational, you know, socially defined minds around something more objective, we can actually have a better life for all humanity in general. So, well, thank you again. And now it's time to have a little bit of fun. All right. Uh, it's time to get into a game I call overrated, underrated. I actually took this from a mentor of mine, um, not a direct mentor, but somebody I watch, a motivational speaker that I watch on YouTube a lot. His name is Gary okay. V. And so, uh, you know, I watched Gary Vee and he was doing this thing called overrated, underrated. I thought it'd be cool to implement this into um, uh, my data podcast, right? Because a lot of times we find that we're so technical. We're always geeking out on, on data. We're always geeking out on the technology, right? It's so cool, right? But, but sometimes, you know, the audience wants to know, you know, are we more than just machines, right? Do we just focus on that all day? Are we always sitting there programming or thinking about the next? I mean, we probably do do that, right? But but at the same time, we also care about you know football or or other sports, right? You know, we mm -hmm. we actually we actually think about things outside of technology all the time. Um, so, all right, the way we play the game, I list a series of you know topics, and you get to decide whether it's overrated, underrated, or right where it needs to be. You okay. can actually. Explain do I gotta take notes here? Do I gotta write this down? Or oh, I'll, no, no, no. I'll, I'll remember. Okay, <laughs> one at a time. You know, um, so it probably lasts about two minutes, two minutes or so. Uh, all right. So the first one is the printer. 
Overrated. I have a tablet. So, <laughs> I don't print anything. I haven't printed anything in months or years. <laughs> yeah, it amazes me when somebody says, "Hey," where, where somebody forces me to print. You know, it just it blows my mind. You know, and it's to the point where I've I've gone through. I you know I would buy a printer, and for some reason, as technical as I can be. I always mess up with the printer, you know, I'm like, this is, this is ridiculous. You know, it's I, not I, I use the Apple pencil and a pad. It's like, why? I'm never printing anything again. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I don't print anything anymore, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Okay. Classical music. Absolutely. You know, I, I wish I would, I wish I could say it was just right. I think it's overrated. I don't know. You know, I, yeah. I'm sorry. For me, I think it is a little, bit, yeah. <laughs> like a little bit more upbeat. You know, I know some people of the genius minds, you know, like yourself, you know, <laughs> would, would typically listen to classical music. I think maybe for ease of, you know, just relaxation and things like that for me. I mean, it's, I, I'm sure people like, and I'm sure it's like much better music and I'm not the right person to talk, but from my perspective, it's overrated. Yeah. Me either. <laughs> yeah. I would say it's overrated, you know, myself, you know. Um, okay. The role of the chef. In a restaurant? Yep. Uh, I think it's about right. Cause I actually think, um, I think leadership is really important. So I, I think, you know, you can be, a, you, and leadership is, you know, one of the reasons we call the company Data Kitchen is because there's a lot of parallels to what makes a good restaurant and having the different types of chef in the kitchen and getting the team organized. And I, I can like, I'm a little bit of, I've had to learn to manage teams and I can go into a restaurant and kind of in a few minutes kind of tell if the restaurant's well run, just the vibe, oh. the laughter, the way that waitress yeah. comes up. It's like, oh, this is good. And like, I appreciate that in like a middle-aged managerial sense, like well-run things. And so having a good chef who can create things or a good chef who runs a restaurant, it's, I think it's just, it's important. So I don't know if it's underrated, but it's probably just right as being, you know, out there being a good, important thing. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I think it's right where it needs to be. You know, I agree with you. I mean, when you think about the chef, right, you know, that from a manager standpoint, you know, they know how the menu works, right? They know how everything should be operated. Um, I watch Chef Ramsey a lot, right? Him yell at people all the time um, on yeah. TV. But, but you know, it's, it's something to be said about a person that's managing that knows the entire kitchen, knows how everything is supposed to be done. And everything from, you know, how fast something is supposed to be delivered out to the, to the, to the customers, right? You know, so yeah. those type of things are very important. And you have the people who can cook one thing or two things really well, and they're over here doing their thing. And, and, you know, so it's, it's really uh, uh, an important role out there, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and it's a lot like data and analytics, right? Chefs, they've got meals on their menu that they do week in and week out. And when people come, they want the same thing, same quality every time, want to be perfect. But then good restaurants are always having new things on the menu, right? Yeah. Chefs are always trying new things. And you got to do that, both those things to be, get a good restaurant. You got to have consistently high quality meals, and then you've got to add new meals to your menu all the time. And those are those are both, you know, innovation and operations are, you got to do both at the same time. That's exactly the same problem that data and analytics teams have. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Going to the movies. Uh, I went with my son when he was home at, uh, during the pandemic and I didn't like it. I was, it was overrated because <laughs> there was a lot of commercials and then, a bunch of 12 year olds were making noise. So I'm, I'm <laughs> <down> now. <laughs> I like movies though. In general, yeah, but and you know, I'm not gonna lie, man, being spoiled with the whole pandemic and streaming now and all that stuff, 
you know, I mean, I can have the food I want, right, while I'm watching TV, you know, you get a bigger TV, you turn the lights down, you know, you yeah. can get surround sound if you want, you know, it can all work out, right, so I definitely yeah. agree, you know. Um, yeah. All right, uh, the Super Bowl. Well, you know, I'm from Massachusetts, so this year um, it is underrated because the Patriots weren't in it. So, you know, when the Patriots are in it, it's 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 obviously super cool. But uh, <laughs> the Patriots aren't going to be in it for a while, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. Talking about Patriots fans, <laughs> I, I definitely thought that they were going to do better than what they did, you know, this year. But they they made it to the playoffs, you know, so that surprised me. And then after that, you know, I thought they were going to do a little bit better, you know. Yeah, um, I think they got. I think their defense is a little bit old, and yeah, I mean they're good. They're good though, you know. I mean, uh, who do you root for? Uh, I was a Cowboys fan. I'm just, I'm not anybody's fan anymore. I'm more of a a, a player fan. Yes, I have different oh, players. Fan, yeah. Um, I played college football, so I played cornerback. Oh, oh wow, okay. Yeah, 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 I played cornerback, and my my favorite player is actually one of my favorite players, Jalen Ramsey. Uh, yeah. So hey, I was rooting for the Rams, you know, and and. Uh, and I like them. I, I wanted the 49ers to make it um, because I like Debo Samuels. I like their their team. You know, they they were working pretty hard, so you know they they didn't make it. But Jalen Ramsey is probably one of my favorite players right now. So I, I I watched the the divisional round where all the games were decided in the last few minutes. Like those were like Amazing. some of the best games I'd ever seen. Like the ever seen playoff yeah. three. and playoff like history. The Kansas City Buffalo game was just like one of the best games in my life. Like it's just oh, so man. good. I know it was. <laughs> You know, and it was great for me because I didn't have a specific team I was rooting for, you know, so you're just seeing a good game being played. You know, that was that was yeah. amazing. You know, so yeah, yeah it, was good. it was good football. Yeah. All right. Next one. I got two more uh, or three more public speaking. I, you know, I, 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 I've been learning to do it. So like, yeah. I'm an introvert. So I like I work at it. I watch videos, read books. So I, I think yeah. it's important. And for me, what I've really focused on the last few years is um, trying to do it through stories and doing it through emotional connection. Because mm -hmm. I think people's memories, if you can tell things in stories rather than logic, if you can kind of hook into their emotions, mm -hmm. people remember what you're saying more. And that, that's where my I'm, I'm trying to work on doing that because I'm like much more tempted to say this uh, works and then X and then Y and then, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I, I like the, you know, so, so telling stories, public speaking is, I, you know, I run a company, so I've got to like talk to people for a living. So it's, I, yeah. I, I'm always working at it. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. You know, I think it's, I would say it's underrated. You know, I mean, they say the biggest, uh, you know, fear besides death is, is speaking in public, right? You know, that's probably, one of the, the the biggest fears you know that people have and um i can see why right you know even no matter how much you prep and prepare and things like that right i don't think it's ever gone the way that i prepared or prep right i could speak in front of 300 plus people it doesn't matter you know still yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. if you know what you're talking about you just have that conversation you know i like the story it's like you said that's that's really good you know but I think people should do more trying to public speak, right? You know, if they can, whether you're an introvert, especially if you're an introvert, right? You know, it gets you um, um, out there a little bit more, you know, when running the company, yeah. things like that, you know, so. Yeah, all right. Like network, networking at a party though, that's bad. That's like no. you know, <laughs> a group of 50 people say hi to 10 new people. Uh. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <It's> weird. <laughs> um, all right, the, hard, the hardcover book. 
I'm a Kindle guy. I've been like, I, I like, I do not, I, I got some books for Christmas, but like, I'm such a Kindle, you know, yeah. and, and now I'm like, I, I can turn the font up because I got my over 45 bad eyes. So like, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm a Kindle. I, I read a lot. I, I like, I like the, so I'm yeah. not again, I like, I read a lot of books. I just read them electronic. Yeah, yeah, I like the electronic books now, you know, um, being able to access them from anywhere, all that good stuff. Don't have to lug something around, you know. Um, and, and yeah, I, 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 I just don't really see as much of the value of my eyes of having just taking up space in my house, you know, with a bunch of hardcover yeah. books when I get the same book fan. And I do audio, right? Audio books now, too, or audible books oh, yeah. as well. So, you know, those are great, you know. The, the All right. One thing that is negative about it, though, is like if you go to someone's house, like like you can go look on their wall and find books that they've written and you can find things to talk about. You yeah. Know, you go like, like if you got the books on their wall, albums that they bought, it gives you like a thing. You can start looking through their albums and asking. You can't yeah. like go open their Kindle and start looking. Right. <laughs> what are you been reading lately? Ask for their code. You know, can I get your code real quick so I can have a conversation <laughs> with you? you know, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I'm I'm wondering if like is there a business in like I'm um, having your uh, your Kindle library as a picture on the wall, and then your your Spotify playlists when people come over, so they can actually oh. like like understand who you are. Yeah, yeah. Maybe <laughs> thing that somebody should come up with. You know, I, I like that idea. <laughs> All right, last one, right? Clam chowder. <laughs> I like, you know, it is not underrated at all. But uh -huh. Boston clam chowder. So yeah, I'm, I'm a, I live in Boston. Clam chowder, you know, I don't know. Uh, it's like a the good creamy New England clam chowder. It's just the, yeah. it's the best. Bad for you, but it's fantastic. <laughs> so I started going to uh, to to Waltham, right, uh, uh, for work. The first time I went, I said, hey, look, what is known, right, you know, in, 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 in Massachusetts, right? And he said, well, if you're going through Boston, definitely get the clam chowder. And it was amazing. I don't know how else to explain it, but but the right word would just be amazing for me, you know. So yeah. I definitely yeah, I love, love it. And then uh, the other thing that's very Massachusetts is steamed clams or steamers. Mm. So I haven't tried that. Yeah, yeah, and then lobster, lobster, and the, the mix of them, you get a lobster and steamers and clam chowder and corn mm. in the cob. It's, you know, it's called a, uh, it's like a, a, you know, they call it, they call, what do they call it? Um, I forget the name, but it's like a, it's a very traditional meal here, a clam bake. Mm. You have that, oh, and sometimes you yeah. do it on a beach. And, and it's, uh, that's like, I, that's one of my favorite meals. Oh, man. I'm definitely going to look that up, you know. So, audience, <laughs> definitely, if you're out there, look it yeah. up. I mean, do it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, no, thanks again, Chris, for being on the uh, podcast. You know, thank you listeners for being, listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show to make data your passion. I'm your host, Dapper Data. Where can they reach you at, Chris, if there's anything that uh, if, if they if they go to the to website, uh, datakitchen.io and, uh, okay. you know, you'll, you'll find every, uh, all the information. You can download our books for free. Um, videos. We even have a three hour training and certification program you can take. Um, just to um, learn about this concept of data ops and, and how it works. Okay. Okay. And, and um, is there anything you have promoting right now? Any books, any conferences, any speaking engagements? Actually on the, uh, we're going to have a webinar on the 16th of next month. Um, okay. And we're going to talk, it's called love your errors. 
Mm. Uh, it's it's kind of taking that idea and then kind of going into the details of what it means to love your errors and and how to how to how to fall forward when you have errors. So it's about durability and testing, monitoring all those cool things. Hey, that's awesome. I'm definitely going to try to check that out. You know, so thanks again, Chris. You know, audience, as you know, you can always reach me at Mr. Dapper Data on any one of the social media platform. I appreciate you all joining in for this episode. It's been amazing. Thanks again, Chris. And love y'all. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. With your host, Dapper Data.